a couple uh, last week, I cracked open an ice cold Coca Cola at the beginning of the sermon because Peter describes the good news of Jesus as refreshing. Um, a couple of weeks before that, I read the missing piece partly because I just love it and I get the microphone by virtue of my office, but also because I think we often feel like the missing piece and I believe the gospel of Jesus explains that infinitely better than any other philosophy, religion, explanation. Um, And what can be frustrating to me about preaching through the book of Acts is the wonderful promises of God are not as much what the book of Acts is about as it is about the story of the early church. And yet, because of the book of Acts, when we then hear the refreshing truths that were loved by God because of the work of Christ, the book of Acts is a backbone to that because it's the true story of the beginning of the church. And so I was looking at Philippians earlier this week, and I love the promises of God that are stated in the book of Philippians. Only four chapters and promise after promise after promise, especially the promise of contentment in all circumstances. I love the book of Colossians. There are over 30 promises either alluded to or stated directly in this four-chapter letter that Paul writes. But because of the book of Acts, we know that they're not just religious statements. It's all true. And so what encourages me is not just the wonderful promises of God, but the story of the early church, which is the true story of how you and I got to be sitting here singing and praying and opening his word. So the book of Acts uh, reads very interestingly compared to some other parts of the Bible, and yet it doesn't land the plane, so to speak, in saying, so this is what we believe, these are the promises of God, this is how we should respond, which is how a lot of the letters go. And as a pastor, I understand that a little more quickly. In the book of Acts, it's all these stories. And even in this text today, there are things that are going to be explained in one line that I need 10 lines on. And there are things that are going to get eight lines. And I'm like, you could have just said that in one line. But that's because that's how it happened. Through imperfect, regular men and women. Through internal disagreement that we're going to get just a hint of in chapter 4 and see a real interesting example of next week in chapter 5. Through external persecution, which begins here in chapter 4, both the local religious leaders and the local governments, which overlapped strangely, Um, persecute the early church. And yet, it continues to grow. Because it's true. I say a lot of times that the beginning reason to put your faith in Jesus Christ is not because of the wonderful benefits, although that's really compelling. The first reason that we would trust Jesus Christ with our heart and mind and decisions, our faith, is because it's true because he actually rose from the dead. A good friend of mine, um, about five years younger than me, that um, 
used to be in small groups together, does not attend church anymore, doesn't live in this part of the country, contacted me and, and, and said, essentially, when doubt is at its strongest in your heart and mind, what carries you? And I don't think she liked my answer because she hasn't responded. I thought about it for a long time. I longed to write her one of those beautiful long emails that you hear about in books. And I didn't have one of those in me because the answer is actually kind of short. For me, my most intense moments of doubt are answered by the historical resurrection of Jesus. Not nice philosophy, which the Bible is full of, not the promises of God, which are so refreshing and good, but the fact that it's all true. That there were hundreds of men and women who witnessed Jesus of Nazareth after he rose from the dead. And they stopped calling him Jesus of Nazareth and began calling him Jesus Christ, Lord. If you have your Bible, we're looking at Acts chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Because it's not legal to say, Jesus is Lord. And it is real dicey to do anything concerning resurrection with the current Jewish leaders. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So this is picking up on Acts chapters 1, 2, and 3, and now in chapter 4, uh, people are continuing to profess faith in Jesus Christ. Picking up in verse 5. One of my elders was giving me a hard time this morning that I can never read the scripture without stopping, and he's right. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power, by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today, examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. He's quoting a psalm here. The builders, which is, uh, this is, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with this, these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more 
to anyone in his name, in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard, which was their way of saying no, and perhaps you're making a mistake. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. I'm more than 40 years old. For that to be significant, well, anyway, thanks, Luke. We'll just say thanks, Luke. Picking up in verse 23, when they were released, now it's Peter talking about Peter and John, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, again, they're going to quote a psalm, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Would you pray with me? Father, would you encourage us? Would you father us? Would you help us to see through the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit the beginnings of the church and would you help us to be encouraged? Would you encourage us? Amen. So this is picking up on Acts, from Acts chapter 3. Peter and John were going to pray because that was important to them. And on the way there, they ended up healing a man through the name of Jesus, not by their own power. And then Peter ends up preaching a sermon. And Acts chapter 4 immediately picks up on this, that Peter and John end up in jail. Did you catch the interesting combination of people that put them in jail? The captain of the temple? That was a, a Roman position. The Romans very wisely did not try and just throw out all the culture that was going on in the lands that they occupied, but they tried to work together with the people as best they could. 
It's a position I think we should consider here at the church. We should have a captain of the church because we don't have enough people with titles, elders, deacons, <laughs> trustees, etc. We need a captain of the church too. Um, but what's happening is uh, the Romans and the Jews together are conferring a little bit and the, the captain of the temple is probably not very annoyed with Peter and John, but he's noticing that the Sadducees, which is the largest ruling party um, of the Jews at that time in that area, are very upset. And the reason that they're very upset is they didn't believe in the resurrection. And it was irrefutable. And I love why it's irrefutable. It's irrefutable because the guy was over 40. <laughs> and his legs and ankles were made strong. When, I, uh, was in, when my wife and I were engaged, um, we went on a run. I was visiting her at her folks' house. We went on a run. And I have played basketball for a long time, very badly, but... Um, still, and so my ankles are pretty weak. We go on a run, and every step, they're popping, and she just made me turn around and go home. She couldn't handle it. She couldn't handle the noise of my ankles popping, and that's when I was like 25, and so this man, who is over 40, was healed, and so these leaders who didn't believe in the supernatural with any great conviction, and especially didn't believe in resurrection, still had trouble refuting the miracle because of the man's age. And what I want us to notice is not just that, which is somewhat interesting for most of, for most of us to hear, I think, because most of us sitting here are over 40 also. Notice the detail. So the captain of the temple, that's a very specific governmental position. The Sadducees, very, I can't always keep all of the religious groups in the New Testament straight, so I imagine you can't either, but Luke could. The age of the man. All of the specific details that Luke includes because he interviewed, because he was around for part of this. He switches in the middle of the book and starts saying I because he was there for a lot of it. And so much of this is evidentially verifiable. I've said this almost every week. I'm going to say it again. I cannot convince you that the name of Jesus Christ can heal someone, if, especially if you don't believe in the supernatural. I might point out that this is about the first time in history that any men and women assumed that there wasn't more to the world than what they could see or understand. It's only in about the last 100 or 150 years that anybody has even questioned that there's more to the world than they sense and understand. So maybe we should be uh, skeptical about our skepticism, perhaps. But while I can't, well, maybe I did just convince you, but I, I'm not as interested in convincing you that supernatural things can happen. I am interested in all of us understanding that this book and this chapter is incredibly evidentially verifiable, historically verifiable. The book of Luke is exceptionally precise. Every year, archaeology is uncovered in Europe and the Middle East confirming that Luke understood all these different government systems. And you're like, I don't care about Middle Eastern and Mediterranean government systems. You should. You know why? Because it means it's all true. It's yet another point for you and I to know in our heads with confidence that this all happened. So there's the heart aspects of the gospel, the forgiveness 
the knowledge that we're Jesus's and he is ours. But there's the head knowledge and the two come together and Christianity would never encourage us to, to set our mind at the door before we believe. And Acts chapter four is essential telling us that these things actually happened. And man, squirrels can be loud, can't they? That's actually a chipmunk, even smaller. But boy, when they hit the leaves, you're like... At some point, a bear's going to walk behind me, isn't it? It's just going to happen. So what happens is Peter and John end up in jail, essentially for annoying the powerful people of government and of religion. But the evidence wins out. Because of the age of the man that they healed... They decide to keep everybody, the the easiest way to keep everybody happy is to ask Peter and John to be quiet. They say no, but to let them go because the evidence was overwhelming. Doesn't that just sound like people? They're skeptical and they don't want to believe in the miracle, but there's the guy standing there and his legs and his ankles are made strong. And so they they don't want to upset the people, so they let Peter and John go. Then the church gathers for prayer and for filling. And this is one of those sections that I just wish we knew more about. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Don't we have the Holy Spirit if we're a follower of Christ? Yes. Can you have the Holy Spirit and not be filled with the Holy Spirit? Apparently. Can you always be filled with the Holy Spirit? I don't think so. Some of us have never experienced a filling. We've never experienced joy in a worship song that would make us think that we're full of the Spirit. We've never been in a group of friends praying and been so encouraged and so confident that God loves us and likes us and that we're secure in Him. Others of us have sensed it and it's been a while since we've sensed it and that bothers us. They have the Holy Spirit already, and yet they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they pray together. And they pray the scriptures together. They do something that makes Christians look silly to those that do not believe, but that I want to just 100% affirm. They both remember in their prayer that God is fully in control of everything by reminding him that he predestined all things. Then they ask him to fill them with boldness. They live in the glorious tension of what we do and do not understand. You and I are limited in what we understand. God is not. So when we pray, we both praise him for knowing everything and being all-powerful and having the entire world fully planned, and we pray for boldness. And for help, we ask for help. We pray the scriptures, like they did. But you and I will not continually be filled with the Holy Spirit, not at every moment of our life until we're with him. Because we still live in the presence of sin and death. Because despite the gloriousness and beauty of the world and the unstoppably 
good power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he has not returned and we are not with him. And so one of the things that disorients people of faith are texts like this. And there are two ways that they disorient, or really three. One is the expectation that this is, this is going to happen all the time. The other is, uh, if this has not ever happened, if you've never experienced the joy of the filling of the Holy Spirit, and I'm not going to attempt to describe it at much greater length than that, because some of us experience it in song, some of us experience it in prayer by ourselves, some of us experience it at church. I can tell you I've experienced it exactly three and a half times since I've been at the barn in the nine o'clock service where I was praying and fully confident of what was happening in the moment. And you're like, say more things. I don't have any more things to say. I'm just telling you I was confident in my being that God loved me and liked me, that he wanted me there preaching and praying, explaining the text as best I could. So I hope that you have had experiences of the Holy Spirit and I hope that you understand that you're not always going to have experiences of the Holy Spirit. The main reason is Jesus gives us our limits so that we can be apprenticed by him in loving him and neighbor. You and I have physical and spiritual and mental limits and they're there for our good to remember that he is he and we are not. The other way that this disorients us, men and women who come into my office from certain spiritual traditions experienced this as um, a stick. It was used as a stick to hit them. By expecting, if we do this, and we do this, and we do this, then you're going to have the experience. And they didn't have the experience, and it made them feel less than. And I, I, I'm very comfortable with the fact that different churches worship in different ways. The blind spot of our particular heritage, Reformed heritage theologically, Presbyterian is a kind of church government, we're boring. And that's a problem because the gospel of Jesus should never bore anyone. But there are other faith traditions that are a little more excited in the way that they do things. And a lot of their men and women end up in my office because there was an expectation of experience and here's what happened. If there's an expectation of experience and then you don't experience it, somewhere in your mind you wonder, does God love me? And the pastor didn't say that to them, but the church was set up for experience and then they didn't have the experience. Listen, this is so important as we look at a text talking about the church being filled with the Holy Spirit. If and when we are not filled with confidence in our feelings, not our head, but we don't feel confident. That's proof that we live in the broken world and that's it. It has nothing to do with God loving you or liking you. That is proven by the work of Christ, not by our feelings and by our experience. At the same time, if you are a follower of Jesus... I do hope that you have had some experience, be it through individual prayer or corporate prayer or worship or just reading the text. I hope that you have had the experience of filling the Holy Spirit.
Because having the Holy Spirit is what every Christian has. And being filled by the Holy Spirit is a joy that we can experience. And it will be fleeting because God has not yet renewed all things. But it is a joy that we can experience. So Peter and John end up in jail, knowing the powerful people. They come back together with the church. The church is filled with the Holy Spirit. The building shakes that they're in. And then they get back to the church being the church. This last section in Acts chapter 4 looks very similar to Acts chapter 2, where the men and women are sharing their stuff. And Luke here is so passionate about it that it sounds like he's saying that everybody did it, that everybody sold all their stuff and then they just pooled it. And yet the last verse says that Barnabas did it. The reason that that's important is Barnabas is being singled out because they weren't telling people to do this. Not everyone did it, but Barnabas chose to do it, which was really cool. And it's also going to lead us into chapter 5 where, well, you can read if you want. Or come to church next week and hear all about it. It isn't a sustainable model for all of us to sell everything that we have and pool it at the church. First of all, please don't do that because I'm not good administratively and it would just go really poorly. But it is a sustainable model as a consideration that this is your spiritual family and we exist to help one another. How do we help one another? Prayer. How else? Studying the word, understanding the deep truths of scripture and how we then respond to them. How else? With our stuff. I own a truck. Did you know that? My wife calls it a toy truck because it's only a five-foot bed. It's totally true. A lot of people will text uh, a friend of mine with a larger truck and I at the same time. And I'll be like, sure, you can borrow it. And they'll be like, no, no, I got the, the larger truck. But I have a truck. And, and part of the reason is I wanted one. But the other reason is I love the early church having all their things in common. And listen, if you all take me up on this, I can't do it today because I have limits. But if you want to borrow it, it's yours. I mean that. And that's not because I'm awesome. I mean, maybe I am. But no, it's a nice truck and I enjoy driving it. My daughter named it Rudy. Perhaps she knows that it's a small truck too. But it's because I believe that this is not only beautiful as an organization, but beautiful as a human to learn to share my stuff is better than to think that my stuff is for me and just my enjoyment. And guess what? I enjoy it. But part of my enjoying of my truck is sharing it with people. You're like, can I have your cell phone number? <laughs> if I've ever emailed you, it's the bottom of my email. I mean it. The church was sharing all their stuff and Luke gets so excited pointing out that they were all sharing their stuff and the needs were being met, which is going to be a problem in chapter 6. They're not going to be meeting everyone's needs by chapter 6. They were in chapter 4, but not in chapter 6, which reminds us it's a human organization. We'll talk about that in two weeks. Verse 36 exists both to set us up for chapter 5, but also to let them know it's voluntary. But that is part of what we do. We try and figure out how to be spiritual family. By sharing our stuff. By learning to pray together. 
by opening the word together, singing, taking the sacrament. I'm referencing chapter two now, the description of the church, but also chapter four. So last week I had a Coca-Cola because Peter describes the good news as refreshing. Weeks before, I read the missing piece because I think we often feel like the missing piece and I think the gospel of Jesus explains that. But here's the thing. The book of Acts, in its evidential historicity, two words you don't care about, but deeply, two words that deeply matter, reminds us that it's all true. That it all happened. The, the care Luke takes to describe the government, you and I just gloss over. We start to check out as we're reading. But that's where our minds are confident, not only that the good news is good news and makes us feel secure, perhaps, but to our head that this actually happened. A man from Nazareth actually lived a sinless life. And then he died. And his friends and his family were really sad. And then he rose from the dead. And about 500 people witnessed it. And these men and women were telling people about it and they got arrested for it. And then they get released from jail and from prison. And they tell more people about it. Sometimes good miracles happen to support the message. And sometimes bad miracles happen to support the message. You're like, what's a bad miracle? You should keep reading the book of Acts. Which is a reminder to you and I that this is all true. What? It explains why we don't feel at home in the world. We were made for a different one. It explains that we both need forgiveness from God and from others and we have it because of Jesus. What good news. It explains that there is, in fact, deep healing available. Whatever you have done, whatever has happened to you, there's deep healing available. And Acts chapter 4 isn't talking about that directly. But it is assuring us that all these things really happened. The gospel of Jesus is, this is how I summarize it. Many of you have been here at church before and you've heard me say this before. It's good to hear it again. God loves us. We are unable to save ourselves. We're a mess, naturally. But because of the work of Christ, we are reconciled to him. That's not stated in Acts chapter 4, but because of Acts chapter 4, we not only believe that that sounds good, but we believe in our heads that it is true. And we are even more full of confidence. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for the wind, even as some of us wish we, wish we had worn long sleeves. 
And I ask that your Holy Spirit draw the hearts of the men and women who are considering the good news that you love them, but that they cannot be saved except in faith in you. Holy Spirit, for the men and women who are trusting you, fill them with tangible confidence that you love them and like them. For the men and women here who have been Christians for a long time and have never experienced that, give them that experience right now. For those of us who have had that experience, but it has been a long time, Lord, remind us that that's only because of the broken world and that you still love us and like us. Lord, I thank you that the good news is true. And that, that that is not only good news, but that we have evidence to verify it in the book of Acts. Please encourage us, Holy Spirit, this morning. Amen.